Welcome to the Chad Cargill ACT Test Prep Podcast, coming to you from the Ollie Ray Ranch in Choctaw, Oklahoma. It's great to be with you for episode three. My goal is to give practical tips to help you increase ACT scores, qualify for college, and win those much-needed scholarships. We'll talk colleges, careers, and most of all, test-taking strategies and tips. Well, today we're going to get into a specific section of the ACT, and I want to give a strategy for a way that you can approach this section, and hopefully this will be something that all of the test takers out there will be able to apply each time you take the test. So today's episode will be the three reasons why in English you should read the passage as you go. Before we get into that, let me just say that I appreciate, again, the great response that we've gotten on the first two episodes. I know last week's episode about why you should never take just one section of the ACT, that was, that was a little controversial, and I've had some great discussions with counselors as I've been traveling since that episode has gone live. And that's been, that's been a lot of fun to have that discussion and hear thoughts from others on possible reasons why you may want to do that. But in the end, we pretty much agree every time that you should take all four sections. There are very few instances when you should not. So I've enjoyed those discussions and we're going to uh, hopefully give a lot more. I'm, my, my goal is to give a lot more great tips and strategies that you can apply. And so sometimes we'll do general and sometimes we'll do uh, more section specific. Then we're going to talk a lot about scholarships and careers and and different things as well. So today, let's dive right in to this three reasons why in English you should read the passage as you go. In English, there are passages with underlined parts scattered throughout. These questions are what I define as usage or mechanics style questions. ACT has some different definitions of how they classify what questions are and and what they cover. Really, I just say you can narrow down the types of questions on ACT English into two categories. One, where you're looking at the words and the punctuation in a sentence. And I just kind of classify these as usage style questions. The second type of question are more general questions, typically about the passage or the flow of the passage, or the general idea of the passage. The division of those, out of the 75 questions in English, you could say around 55 of the 75 will have an underlined part in the passage with a first choice of no change. And that, again, is where you're looking for the words and punctuation. And then the remaining 20 or so of the 75 are more of the general style questions. The general style questions typically do not have an underlying part in the passage. They could, but typically they're more just about the passage, again, with a first choice of something other than no change. The first several ACT tests that I took in high school, I didn't read the passage. When I approached the test, my thought was 75 questions, 45 minutes, That's a lot, and I really got to try to get through it quickly. So as soon as I answered an underline part, I would immediately skip to the next underline and then skip to the next underline. I would try to do that because, obviously, 
I was worried about finishing and I figured that that would be the most efficient use of the time to get through the section. When I give my workshop at high schools, I ask students, how many of you skip? How many of you, as soon as you answer an underlined part, you immediately jump to the next underlined part because you're in a hurry and you're trying to get done. And every class I give, over half the students agree with that. What really blows my mind, though, is that there are people out there who try to do what I do, who actually teach students to skip, to not read the passages, to go from one underline to the next underline. And so as I travel, sometimes students will come to me at the first break and say, hey, you know, we, we did this class here and we were taught don't read the passage or, you know, this lady came in and spoke to our group and said, never read the passage in English. And I just, I, I can't help it. I just think, have you ever even taken an ACT? Look, I didn't read the passages, probably my first six ACTs, maybe, maybe first four. And what happened was, is I'm skipping from one underline to the next. And then I hit one of those general questions that ask you to summarize the essay, conclude the essay, the author's main point, the tone of the essay. And what I found is that it was really difficult for me to summarize an essay I did not read. And that makes sense, right? So I would flip back and I would try to read that thing real fast. So hopefully I could summarize or conclude the essay. So I figured out real quickly, I had to read the passage as I tested. Otherwise, I had to go back and reread. As you read from one underline to the next, it's important you remember this isn't reading comprehension. You don't need to know all the details. You want to very quickly get from one underline to the next underline. And as you're reading, you're just thinking in general what is happening here. But you don't want to skip. Now, some students have asked me, well, are you saying you should read the entire passage, then go back and do the underlines? No, I don't suggest that. I say, let's read till we get to an underline part and answer that. Then let's read to the next underline part and answer that. I think that's a pretty safe strategy. One thing that's important to just put out front is that when I give tips like this, I'm not saying that this tip works best for everyone. A lot of students test differently. We'll talk about that a lot in another podcast when I start talking about strategies for the reading comprehension section. And I will specifically address this issue of so-called experts trying to tell everyone how you should do the reading comprehension section and the method or the strategy you should use on reading the passage or not reading it or whatever. It varies by student. And so in this tip, this also may vary to some degree, but I think it is safe to say we should definitely read the passage so we have a great chance of getting those 20 or so questions correct that are not specifically about an underlying part, but rather about a passage. So as you're reading, again, you're just thinking in general what is happening here. What's the purpose of the passage? What's the author's main point? So specifically, I want to get down to the three reasons why you should read it as you go. And number one, I've already addressed to a pretty thorough degree, 
It's tough to summarize the essay if you didn't read the essay. It's just important that we know the general idea, the tone, the author's main point. These are common questions that will be scattered. The flow of the essay is important. It's very common for them to ask if this thought were to be inserted into the essay, where might it best fit? And if you haven't read it, you don't get a grasp for the flow. So that's going to be an important aspect of reading the passage as you go. It's just tough to know the general idea, the flow, the summary, the tone. Number two is the context. When ACT underlines something in a sentence, if you just look at that sentence by itself, it can be difficult to determine if it's correct, if a change needs to be made, because looking at a sentence by itself, you do not have context for how it fits into the passage. So in the workshop, I do an example of this, and I use the sentence, I put this on the screen for the students, some was or were eaten. So you could say some was eaten, or you can say some were eaten. And I ask the students, what do you think? An interesting thing that happens is that several will immediately say some were eaten. Some of the students will say some was eaten. And then some students, they're just like, ah, I don't know. I mean, maybe either could work. Some is an indefinite pronoun that can be both singular and it can be plural. We know that some, all, most, any, none are the five indefinite pronouns that can be singular and they can be plural. And so you have to have context to know what some refers to. And so in the workshop, I give this example. I say, what if two sentences before it said, for Kat's first birthday, her mother bought her two cakes. Some was or were eaten. Well, the answer is some were eaten. There was more than one cake. Or maybe the sentence before said, for Kat's first birthday, her mother bought her a huge cake. Some was or were eaten. Some was eaten. There was one cake. If you don't read the passage as you go, you don't have context. If you do read it as you go, you have context. A little side note. Later in the workshop, I show my kids. I have eight kids. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we have adopted six kids. Uh, two from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Three from Uganda. And our eighth child was a frozen embryo adoption. And our baby, our newborn baby, my wife at the age of 46, just delivered. And our seven-month-old at the time of this recording is Cat Liberty. We named her uh, Liberty because Liberty means to be freed from bondage, to be, to be set free. And so she was freed from the cryogenic chamber where she was frozen. And so when Cat was born, my wife had just delivered. And I lean forward to the doctor and I say, is this the first time you've ever delivered a four-year-old newborn? And she says, what? And I said, never mind, keep working. And uh, the next day, the nurse came in and said, what in the world did that mean? And I said, well, when Kat was born, she was four. She had been frozen for three years. She'd just been hanging out, chilling. And so uh, uh, when Kat turns one, we're going to have two birthday cakes. Uh, one will say, happy birthday with one candle. And the second cake will say happy Earth Day with five candles, because when she turns one, she will actually be five. And we'll talk about that every year of her life and 
um, anyway, I, I just think that's, that's, uh, it's a great story. It's kind of funny to, uh, to talk about. I kind of take people off guard with it when I tell them my newborn is almost five. So uh, that's why I use that example in the class. And it really hammers home that you have to have context. You can't just take a sentence on its own. The third reason why you should read the passage as you go is because ACT might change the tense of verbs. So if I'm skipping from one underline to the next, I may come to the end of a paragraph and find the first thing that's underlined in that paragraph is a verb in this last sentence. The verb may be in present tense. If I read that sentence by itself, it works. It's grammatically correct. It's punctuated correctly. I'll put no change. But if I read the passage as I go, every other verb was past tense and it will be obvious that they changed the tense of the passage or they changed the tense of that verb. And I know I can't let them change the tense of that verb. So instead of putting no change, I correct the tense. It's obvious the tense of that verb needs to be changed if I read the paragraph. So read the passage as you go. That doesn't mean to read the entire essay, then go back and answer the questions. But read to the first underline, answer that. Read to the next underline, answer that. I find that when I take the test or when I work with students and watch them do this, you finish even faster. And you finish with a higher score than not reading it. It saves you a lot of time because you're not having to go back and reread and having to figure a lot of that out. And those general questions get a lot easier if you read the passage. The number one reason why a student misses those general questions about the passage is the students don't read the passage. So read it as you go and you'll have a much better chance. You, you need to also remember this is not reading comprehension. I know I addressed that earlier, but I want to say it again. You don't need to know all the details. Keep asking yourself in general what is happening here. If you follow that tip of reading the passage as you go, I think you will find that English, especially those general questions about the passage, will get much easier. And you won't miss questions that really weren't that difficult on context, or tense. But again, only if you read it. I want to give a special thanks to a great review that was posted. Miss Julie Garner, she is a teacher in West Texas at Jim Ned High School. Jim Ned High School, very popular high school. If you know anything about college football, one of Texas' all-time great quarterbacks uh, played high school ball there, Colt McCoy. And so anyway, uh, every time I drive by Jim Ned High School, uh, going through West Texas, I think about that, how he came from that small town. I think Wikipedia showed that that town only had like 716 people or something. It was some really small number. And to think, wow, one of the great college football uh, players came out of there. That's, that's incredible. But uh, Miss Julie Garner, she said, uh, in a review, this is a great podcast for those of you who are looking for some helpful advice and tips on taking the ACT. Chad Cargill is a trusted source and is the guy that some of you may have gone to see last October in Anson. Whether you went then or not, you should check this out. Well, Miss Garner, thanks so much for posting that. 
um, Anson High School, that, uh, that class that I teach in Anson each year has a special place in my heart during our adoption process. Uh, we hit some, uh, a really hard time. It, it had taken years to adopt our kids. And uh, Anson High School was a critical moment that allowed us to continue in our adoption process financially. And I, I share that when I go there and I'm actually uh, writing a book on the story of our adoption and our kids. And the chapter of the miracle in Anson, Texas is one of my favorites because uh, what happened that day, uh, it uh, changed my family future. So without, uh, without that workshop, I would not have the kids that I have today. It, uh, it was pretty incredible what happens. I'm very thankful again to Miss Garner and to all the, uh, the people that uh, not only go to that, that workshop, but all of the others as well. Well, that'll do it. If you enjoyed the episode today, please share it with someone. Let him or her know that it was uh, valuable and might be a tip that could be helpful. And hopefully you will join us in the next several episodes. Each week, there'll be a new episode posted. And you can also find me on Facebook on the Chad Cargill Workshops Facebook page. Feel free to post any questions there that you might have about this topic or others, and I'll answer those. I'll be checking that page and answering questions that get posted there. If you have suggestions for future episodes, things you would like me to talk about, also feel free to leave that and I can address those. If you get on our mailing list, I would like to give you a free resource. You can go to scholarships.chadcargill.com and a little window will appear. It will tell you uh, to enter your email. It'll say, tell me where to send it. You enter your email there and in your inbox, you will receive a PDF document of a segment I do in the workshop on scholarship applications. And that document will not only give you sample project ideas that committees love, but it will also tell you how to word those on the application. Specifically, I, I give five key rules that you must follow when writing a scholarship application uh, project or leadership or something that you're putting on there of how to write that to where the scholarship grader reads it and really loves the way you put it on there to where you're getting at the top of the list. So I really hope you will go to scholarships.chadcargill.com and get that resource. It's a great resource for scholarships and resumes. If you would like to see where I'm going to be teaching the workshop, you can go to chadcargill.com, specifically go to calendar.chadcargill.com and you will see every workshop that I have scheduled uh, where I'm going to be, the times, the contacts for the workshop host, and hopefully you would be able to join us there. And if you don't find a class that is close, you can certainly reach out to us and see if I can get to you. And I do travel a lot, so uh, it is likely that we could uh, get something going at a high school near you. So you can call our office at 405-454-3233 or email my assistant Penny at chadcargill.com and we can get that hopefully set up. Well, that will do it for episode three. Again, I'm glad you joined us for the, this episode. If you would, please 
leave a review, uh, hit that rating button on your podcast app, and that will really help us as we move forward. Well, next week, I will be back with another tip, and I really hope you'll join us. So until then, have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week.